and welcome to episode 20 of the Long Story Short podcast with myself, Vicky Cornick. If you haven't already guessed, I have somewhat lost my voice. Although, I'm not going to lie, I actually kind of enjoy sounding like this. So let's hope it stays for a few more days. Um, you might also hear the wind from outside in parts of this episode. So apologies about that. But just if you hear something, you're not imagining it. Anyways, on today's episode, I chat to the phenomenal woman that is Claire Walsh. Claire Walsh became the first person to represent Ireland at the Free Diving World Championships in 2019. She's incredible. And when she's not holding her breath underwater, Claire is reading, teaching and talking about breath and what it can do for our body, mind and voice on land. In this episode, Claire talks about suffering with mental illness in her 20s and how discovering breathwork finally brought her a sense of clarity and purpose, and also how freediving provided a fresh perspective that transformed her life and helped her find freedom. Claire has also recently released her book, Underwater, which describes her amazing journey and it is available to purchase through the link below. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I know you will because I absolutely loved it and I could chat to Claire all day. She is incredible. Thank you so much for listening and see you later. Hi Claire and welcome to the Long Story Short podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I am delighted to be chatting and can I just say that's probably the best name for a podcast long story short perfect <laughs> thank you so much well I did send you a quick message beforehand and I was like I usually have to put a time limit on these podcasts because I will ramble on and talk for Ireland and there's no stopping me and I I can tell when I bump into somebody on the street they're like oh no Vicky's talking to me I need to be somewhere and I have to go so I can't talk for long um so that is why it's called long well, story short I, I don't want to brag but I can leave a 10 minute voice note no bother on a normal day so you know I think we're on the same cloth meet your train I have a I work with a lot of clients through like whatsapp mm-hmm. and we do like weekly check-ins and they see like 10, 15 minute voice message from me and they're like, um, t- thank God WhatsApp has this like- The double speed or time and a half, yeah. Oh my God. And they're like, Vicky, do you usually talk that fast in real life? And I'm like, probably, I can, probably do. I can, I can beat it. Um, so yeah, I think we're on the same page, which is amazing. So yeah, um, stay tuned for another three hours, everybody. <laughs> um, so Claire, I've been following you, God, for quite a while now. And you are, you're some woman. Oh my God, you have done some amazing things. Um, so before we get into it, are you able to give us a brief summary of yourself and your life? Um, okay, <laughs> this is where I'm talking for 50 minutes. Um, I am 40 years old. I was born in Kildare, which is a county probably more known for its racehorses rather than its waves. Um, So I grew up kind of landlocked Kildare. I studied uh, drama, acting. I did a master's in movement in London. That's something actually that not a lot of people know. And after leaving college, my, my career took many paths I worked as a puppeteer for Lambert Puppet Theatre. You're probably a bit young to remember Bosco or Wanderley Wagon. But I know Bosco. It's all yeah. them. They're, that's the Lambert family and they had a, an amazing theatre in Monkstown that I used to go to as a kid. So coming back to work there was full on nostalgia. It was incredible. Um, I also worked running gospel choir, so I am a voice coach. I 
to have taught movement, I've taught drama, I've worked as an actor briefly. Um I I free dive, I I work as a breath practitioner. Oh my god, that's so much harder than it than than it feels. Describe yourself. That's amazing. And I, I'm gonna stop you at the musical theatre kind of performing background because I used to be so into performing. I was a singer, although it does not sound it by my voice today. Um, but I grew up singing, acting, performing. And I'm sad to say I don't do it anymore, but it is something that I just loved so, so much. So puppeteer, like that is mad. I don't think I've ever heard anybody doing that. And what, what was that like? So like, Vicky, what would it, what a typical before day? we go on, I feel like I'm going to have to ask you a question. And it's a bit of a deal breaker, I'm not going to lie. So no favourite musical. Oh, that's really hard. You know what? It's probably one that I think a lot of people are going to say, but it has like a special place in my heart, but it's Grease. I just... Wow, I I was not expecting that. It's probably a common one, and I'm sure people are more so relating to the movie, but I I think I saw it in London. I want to say, um, and I I love it. Oh my god, I I love it. And that or Wicked. I mean, that's that's one that that's I. That's what I was expecting. That, that I wrote it down beside oh. me. I wrote Wicked beside me. Amazing. Yeah, I I do love a bit of Wicked, but Greece. I just think it's such. Oh, it's amazing. That's it's brilliant. Incredible. What's yours? I'm intrigued. I am a little bit more old school. The first musical I remember listening to, there were two. So Phantom of the Opera and Lame is. I remember listening to them in my dad's office in our in our house, um, and I was about two years old at the time. So I, I did grow wow. up on those two musicals, and I loved um, Les Mis because in the song "Master of the House," uh, the word "bastard" is used. I thought this was hilarious once I knew what what words were. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I actually I didn't write it down. I thought you were going to say Les Mis. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So yeah, can you give us um, like a background as to what? you know, working in, like, that area was like. Yeah, like, like it's... It, so I think my first love is musical theatre and I always wanted to go into it. But I I suppose I thought I didn't have a good enough voice and I suppose I, I held myself back. Um, but I did grow up um, acting out these songs in my bedroom for hours and hours and hours. All my cousins, if anyone, any of them are listening, they will all have been in a Claire Walsh production at some point in their lives. Um, so, you know, I, I did drama from, I think, you know, it was four or five when I started speech and drama and stayed with it until, you know, just after my leaving cert. Wow. And then went into um, it as a, as a degree. Uh, it is something that I think it's something that's underestimated, um, certainly in terms of the skills that it teaches you. So, for example, I... I have just, you know, published a book. And as part of that, there is a lot of media around it. And I've been really lucky. So I, I've chatted to some really, really lovely people. Um, but I remember um, uh, someone was interviewing and said, you know, you're you're quite natural, which is obviously a lovely compliment to get. And, you know, it kind of felt like saying, I had to say, disclaimer, you know, I have studied um acting I have studied performance I have done it for years and it's not that it makes you particularly good or bad but it certainly makes you a little bit more comfortable 
and it teaches you techniques to deal with any nerves or any any discomfort so when I tell people you know I've worked as all these things um, including puppeteer which again is kind of out there and it's a great icebreaker on a first date I'll tell you Um, when I when I tell people I, I you know I've done all these things you know for a long time I was quite embarrassed about it because my CV is incredibly incredibly eclectic and it feels like you know a really heightened version of jack of all trades master of none but for me there's always been a through line and the through line is breath so when I did speech and drama as a kid we had our exams every Christmas so all my my sisters did them as well and in that, you know, you're taught intercostal diaphragmatic breathing, which is the correct way to breathe uh, for voice and speech. So, you know, as a kid, you know, those theory elements as part of these exams and you're parroting off these answers. Um, what is a what is a pause? Uh, a pause is a stop. Why do we pause? We pause to take a breath, to point sense and make sense. You know, so you start to learn all these intricacies around speech. Um, expression, creativity and breathing from a really young age. And I suppose as I carried that through my career, I began to understand it, first of all, and began to, my understanding deepened considerably. And then I saw that it's probably the key to most things. Yeah. So it's given me such an appreciation for um, different things. So it's not just the creative same school um, leggings and headbands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so interesting you say that because I am a personal trainer and I coach and I have coached women for geez, five, six years now. And I always describe it as a performance. And that is something like that. I grew up performing. I grew up always, you know, doing shows, doing musicals or singing. And you have to like pull yourself together and really put on a show and you know, right now I just do small, like semi-private training. So max, you know, six, eight women in a class. But when I was working in FlyFit years ago, there'd be a class of 30 people. And it makes a difference. Like you need to express your voice. You need people to pay attention to you. And so I always relate it back to that. 100%. I was a a performer. That's really interesting that you say that. The the tester is how you feel afterwards. Like there's a reason why you're tired. You know, you're giving, giving energy. It's not just the physical element of speaking and and taking care of a lot of people in in, in your case, but you are giving, spending, putting your energy out there. So afterwards, it's a bit of a, you know, whether it's it's a class or whether it's on stage or, you know, whether it's doing a podcast, there is an element of performance about it of, of not necessarily putting your best side forward, but yeah, that, that focusing on communication. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, okay, so you, like I said at the start, have quite an amazing story for your for your last 40 years. Um, and you have your, your book, which we will get on to. Um, but I have listened to you previously on um, Emma Kyo's podcast. And you talk about how you went traveling, am I correct, at age 32? Yeah, I'm raging because I'm actually in my office. And while I was writing, I had my timeline of all the things in front of me with gone. So I think I was 32. Yes, it was around. I, I, I picked that up. I, I have a good memory. I think it was 32. Okay. I'll look back now and I'll be or listen back and think, oh my God, no, you were 32, actually 33. Yeah. You were, you were feeling a little lost maybe. Is that, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, more. kind of just, just as 
as so you know people not necessarily might know me but certainly kind of part of the how I put myself out there is very often in the context of free diving and then my family will know and, and friends will know the singing which is constant but you know, I think just a big part of my story is my mental health or actually it is it's mental illness and that very much became my like why um why do we do things uh, the way we do them and um, I suffered with mental illness in my probably started about 2001 I was just finished college I went to do my master's in London and that year probably broke me um and I, I say it glibly but it really kind of brought me to my knees in in a process that took probably about 18 months a year and a half um so kind of throughout my 20s uh certainly from mid-20s onwards um balancing I say the word balance, but I never actually managed it. I suppose masking my mental illness was probably my full-time job. And then I just worked around it. I worked and earned money and partied around it. But what I gave the most effort to, what I thought about the most, was hiding how I was feeling Mm -hmm. to varying degrees of success. And was that... So other people didn't notice or was it that you didn't notice yourself? Oh, gosh, I, I could not notice. Yeah. It was, I think, to the the beginning, the initial motivation was to protect people, A, from seeing how much I was struggling and to protect them from me at that point. I always, I don't know if you're familiar with Harry Potter. Yes. Um, what I always think about is the character of Lupin and when he changes into a werewolf you know they go out to the shrieking shack and he he stays there and it's to protect other people from him at that time and I I remember when I did read that I was like oh my god and that is how I felt that people needed protection from me I felt I was volatile or the worst version of myself or not something I was comfortable people seeing me as. So I really worked hard in creating, I won't say it's a persona because that makes it sound false, but definitely pushing a side of me that maybe I didn't feel as congruently at the time. It didn't, you know, that the basically public Claire and private Claire were, were inching further and further and further away from one another. Yeah. Um, so that kind of was all throughout my 20s it it's funny that was happening i i did i ended up going into hospital um it was the day after my 26th birthday it's funny some day some dates stick out it's the day after my 26th birthday that's really weird sorry that you say that because i actually was hospitalized uh i think two days after my 17th birthday oh that's interesting yeah go on sorry um hmm some dates stand out and I remember the reason I agreed to go in I had started to tell people and by people I mean my family that things weren't good and I was living with my boyfriend at the time and it was him saying I can't deal with this and we go oh okay I'll, I'll go and take myself away and fix myself and it'll probably take what a month five weeks tops 
So off I went. Um, so it's 13th of November, day after my 26th birthday. I went in just until Christmas. And again, uh, so I went into St. Pat's Hospital. Um, and my family were due to go skiing. It was a really big, you know, treat. It's the first time we'd done it um, just after Christmas. So I asked, could I be discharged for Christmas? Have Christmas, go on holidays and then come back in and finish my treatment. Which now... Like, I don't know what I would say to Claire of then, but it was just ridiculous. Mm. I was putting so much pressure on myself to still be able to uphold the Christmas, Claire. I love Christmas. Mm. Um, everyone who knows me will have seen my ridiculously big Christmas tree that I insist on getting every single year. I love carols. I'm, you know, I really like the, the traditions around it. So I came out unexpectedly to be able to switch into that mode. Yeah. And then to be able to go away and do quite a physically demanding sport when I had just been not essentially in a hospital bed for six weeks but not far off Mm -hmm. Um, it was bonkers it was such a huge ridiculous ask of myself Mm -hmm. so when we came back in January I went back in uh, for a further six weeks and that was incredibly difficult Um, did you feel like was the first six weeks of your recovery, like, were you progressing very well and it almost put a pause on it? Or um, Yeah, I probably wouldn't use the word recovery in, in relation to that time, simply because, you know, I, I <laughs> to use my dad's phrase, not about this, but he would often say, I, like, you know, I didn't know my arse from my elbow. I didn't, you know, I was so... Control is a word I associate with that time. I would allow myself to be vulnerable not necessarily when it suited me but when I felt safe to and then the rest of the time I remember the first time I was allowed out so it, for listeners that aren't familiar with how it looks if you're an inpatient you kind of almost build up credit and can be brought out for a day and that can be extended to an overnight stay and then I think it's two nights um so the first time that mum brought me out I went around to everyone on my ward and asked what do you want in the shops so I started assimilating a list of, you know, boots. We need to get this shampoo and this shampoo for this person. And then we need to go to Dunn's and pick up socks and knickers uh, for th- this person. And then we need to go to Mark's. Like on a normal day, that idea of a shopping list would kill me. So you're a natural like carer, though. I, I have the same. Uh, like, like I think it's a carer, but it's also it's a distraction. Yes, it's, a, yeah. it's a not wanting, pe- you know, I couldn't be the patient. Yeah, it's a yeah. really, it's a really funny time to reflect on, um, and I remember my mom thinking, "This is mad." I was like, "Yeah, but I'm fine," you know. So it was really, really important to me um, to show that I could still be fine. Yeah, it probably took years to realize the extent of how fine I wasn't. <laughs> um, um, what age were you again? Sorry, twenty six. Twenty six. Twenty six. I was in until end of February um, I can't remember the year um, and then came out and, and then for the following year was an outpatient ish um, on quite a lot of medication uh, living with my boyfriend finding it hard to um, slot back into day to day life actually mm. that took quite a long time and I then what... that part is the hardest absolutely like... 
I certainly don't know if you can relate to this, but felt like hospital was my bubble and it was felt safe, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like you kind of just had to do what they were telling you. And like, it was yeah. like, you know what, look, I'll worry about life when I have to get out there yeah. again. And then you get there and you're like, wow, this is, uh, yeah. this is quite scary. I have to go back into, into reality again. Absolutely. And like, there is a word for that. It's institutionalized. Yeah. And I think people have this idea of what that means, but you know, you are told, okay, now you're going to queue up and you'll have your, um, your medication and now you have your dinner time there's no choice about that and mm. yeah it's, it, it is it's a really funny one definitely the year after that was the hardest yeah uh, and certainly at the at other points so moving towards my 30s if ever you thought of how bad was I did I need to go into the hospital I thought about that time afterwards yeah and that's when I thought well I can't do that again yeah yeah. I'd almost love a break and, you know, you can go back in. They call it a period of respite. You know, not essentially, you know, you're going back yeah. in, taking yeah. care of people back in the bubble to recoup and, and to maybe um, give those skills a chance to regenerate. So it's certainly not a judgment on doing that. But all I kept on thinking was that about that period of when you came out mm-hmm. and how hard that was. So I actually, I never went in, I think for that reason. Um and what did you do in that next year? Did you go back to work? Did you honestly? I can't remember. It is one hundred percent a blur. Um, I know the year after that, I broke. It, it was really hard. I broke up with my boyfriend the year after that, and that's when. Um, I won't say things got really bad. Things were okay in kind of late late twenties. Again, it's really really blurry. Yeah. Um, I did start when I was about 28. I did start with my counsellor, who I'm still with now. Um, and that definitely changed things considerably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I'm i trying to remember, I think on a 28, 29, I started working for myself. And I started teaching drama, doing some freelance stuff. Um, I think it was around that time, probably in my 30s. <laughs> Timeline's not great, particularly <laughs> around then. That's why I had it on my wall in front of me. From what I gather, this was like at least 12, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. like mental health wasn't talked about anywhere near mm-hmm. as much as it is now. Like, uh, forgive my glibness, but it wasn't trendy. No. There were no hashtags. <laughs> and like, did people know you were in the hospital or did you very much keep it to yourself? It was a really, I remember feeling very conflicted. I... I remember not wanting to be ashamed of it, therefore speaking quite frankly about it, but at the same time not wanting anyone to know. So I remember it's, it's, it's it was a friend of my boyfriend at the time. He was very well educated. Um, you know, someone that you might think knew better. Um, and I, I at the t- now, like I can't even remember what the phrase he said was, but it's something like, "Okay, so Claire is crazy now, or she's mental." I can't even remember. It was it was a throwaway phrase, but what struck me was, if he thinks that, what do other people think? Mm-hmm. You know, he should know better. It, yeah, it, it just it really really stood out. And again, to this day, I can't really remember what he said, but but there was that. 
you know, if you Definitely go in somewhere, you're horrendous. I didn't know. want, I didn't want people to know. And I think what I learned there in the hospital on the ward, um, I met some of the funniest women I've ever encountered. Such dark humor. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were, there were lecturers there. Um, there were authors. There was two authors um, incredibly creative, intelligent, successful women. And I think for me, that reframed my idea of what was happening to me. Yeah. Because if it could happen to them, you know, they were very successful, you know, from, from my standards and it still was happening to them. So I it definitely changed my idea of mental illness. Um, but certainly, yeah, there was a stigma. And maybe, maybe it's what stigma is made up of. But just a complete lack of understanding mm-hmm. um, around timelines, around are you better now, um, and, and definitely judgment within that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, I mean, God, it's changed so much now. I think um, we can, you know, look back and exactly what you said. You meet some incredible people there. Like I'm still in touch with people that I was in hospital with and mm-hmm. haven't seen them in years, but, you know, it's really like mental health has no category like it's not for a certain type of people it's just it can affect anybody yeah Um, and so okay so we're kind of 28 Mm. 29 and from when you kind of felt that you were starting to maybe were you starting to live again or was it something that you still were struggling with like this is the thing. I still did some really cool things in that time. Um, so kind of my life didn't go on hold. Um, it just, it was just always present. It kind of lived beside me or lived or existed alongside what I was doing. Um, in my early 30s, I, w- I was still single. I had broken up with that boyfriend, whatever, about 27. I think actually just before or after my birthday, so kind of similar time of year. Um uh, was uh, living on my own or, you know, renting. Um, went on a bit of a health kick. I think on my 29th birthday, decided by the time I was 30, I wanted to be off medication. Um, so did that correctly with a doctor um, under supervision, lost weight, kind of returned to fitness. Um, and in my early 30s, was kind of quite happy out I suppose trying new things. That's when I I started with Lambert's um, and I loved the work I did, really did. I I loved it. But yeah, I I don't know where the the break or the the pause came from. Like I said, I was living with mental illness and it was my why. And what I mean by that is it definitely motivated me to do things. I certainly never wanted to fall into the category as being perceived as weak or negative. So I think I took on challenges that were the exact opposite. So for example, um, when I turned 29, I, I was, you know, dropping weight. I was in the gym. I was really careful about what I was eating. Probably not to a healthy extent, but 
um, you know, it, it was covered under the umbrella of wellness. So I got away with it. But my focus was on fueling the amount of exercise I wanted to do. So I started training from a ma- for a marathon. Um, I picked my marathon. I started training for the half marathon first. So kind of enjoyed running, although I'm not built like a runner. I run slower than a turtle moving through peanut butter. Um, but, you know, I just I think my arms were running and my legs were walking. Um, but I was really enjoying the tangible achievement. I think that's really, really important around mental illness or health is that everything is unseen. So my friends at the time were uh, buying their first house or meeting their partners or you know, getting engaged, uh, maybe going on to their second career. And my achievements were not something that you turn up with a bottle of bubbles and a Hallmark card for because they're all internal. Um, and I remember thinking, I just want something that's tangible. So I picked the running and specifically races. And when I finished the half marathon in Dublin, immediately I think, right, I want to do it again. I want to do it faster. So I did it a couple of weeks later. Then I thought, right, I want to do a marathon. So I trained for a marathon. Was, it was to be on the 8th of December, the Clonakilty Marathon. And the Tuesday before, I hurt my knee. And I just remember sitting on the floor bawling. I felt so robbed. I felt so robbed of this opportunity for me to say, well done, Claire. Because I thought I needed that finisher's medal to do it. Mm. Um, and I, I barely left any time. You know, ex- I'd realised how much exercise could give me. And I was afraid of stopping. I was cleared by the physio to do other kinds of exercise, just not running. And um, so I kind of quite quickly moved into CrossFit. I wasn't prepared to leave that gap mm. and, and see where it took me. Um, but yeah, you know, I wanted tangible. I wanted things I could measure. And then in CrossFit, it's done in weights. It's, it's done in times. And this really satisfied my need for, again, the tangible and Obviously, now, with a lot of hindsight and thousands of euros worth of therapy, I realise I didn't need a medal to say, well done, Claire. I could have just done it myself. Um, I can so relate to that, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I came out of hospital going, right, I'm going to do a triathlon. Sounds like, true. but I'm going to do it healthily. And I'm, yeah. you know, going to feel myself for it. Exactly, like, so similar to what you're saying. And, like, mm-hmm. I have to catch myself sometimes because that is very much, and I hate, like, saying things are my identity but I'm I'm yeah. exactly I, I like that I like like achievements I grew up playing yeah. tennis yeah. like I love to win I'm competitive but competitive with myself yeah. and, and sorry go on no just saying like it, it's really interesting because I find myself not necessarily well yeah in a similar position now um so I've had long COVID the last couple of years and we've all had COVID lockdowns etc um my fitness has changed considerably and then after long COVID my ability has changed hugely. Mm. So what I can do, you know, there have been days where it's been like, will I cook a dinner or will I wash my hair? I cannot do both. Um, so it's been pulled right back. But with that, obviously, my body has changed how it looks, um, what it can do, how it does it has 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 changed. And obviously we have all these ideas around aesthetics and um, what is fit, what is beautiful and, and all these kind of things. Obviously, that's a really, that's a far bigger issue. But for me, 
all I want to do. And I, I do work with a terrific trainer who has uh, Colin McIndoo, who has experience with people with chronic fatigue. All I want to do is give myself a big project. All I want to do is say, I'll do a triathlon next year or I'll do the marathon or I'll free dive. But now that's exactly what I can't do. I can't take on an all out, big, encompassing, satisfying project. I have to do the really, really unsexy stuff. Mm -hmm. Small things that are so boring every day consistently. And results, though, that before and after that people, you know, really like to see, that's going to take a long time. And it is, it, it's teaching me a lot about acceptance, mm-hmm. about compassion, um, probably the hard way, but it's a humbler, that's for sure. It yeah. is an incredibly humbling journey. And I think it can also, like, as cliche as it sounds, like, teach us to be grateful, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not take our body for granted. And Absolutely. what you might have looked at five years ago six years ago as oh that's easy like why would I like that for you is is a challenge and I always say this to you know clients where they might you know come into the gym they're new and we call it like the beginner gains so like they'll progress super fast and they're on this pause of like whoa I'm going I'm going and then like everybody they have a shit week yeah and that hits them so hard because they're like oh my God, Vicky, like I haven't felt up to it all week. Like what's wrong with me? Like I can't do this, can't do that. And they're giving themselves such a hard time. Mm-hmm. And obviously in a nice way, like I'm saying to them, like, welcome to life. Mm-hmm. Like that is training. If everyone walked into the gym and it was a walk in the park, we'd all be, be doing amazing. Yeah. We'd all be flying. We'd be the fittest people ever. But it's not like that. And it's having that compassion, having that, you know, grace with yourself of, right, I'm doing what my body sees as a challenge, not too much that I'm going to burn out, but mm-hmm. a challenge that, and that's this week's or this day's challenge. I think yeah. that's really important. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was laughing when you said, you know, when, when people turn up like that, and myself included, and, you know, what's wrong with me? Uh, the answer I've gotten is, you're human. Yeah. I don't want to be human. I want to be <laughs> superhuman. But here's yeah. the reality, and my reality has become very different in the last. Uh, two years but it is like you know I, I, I had a session yesterday and I wasn't feeling it that I was there yeah and showing up yeah is the best thing you can do a lot of the time yeah and just sometimes I have it I'm human I go into the gym I love my training mm. I used to get really pissed off if I had a crap session mm. I used to get pissed off if somebody came up to me and talked to me in the gym yeah now I'm the biggest talker in the gym <laughs> I don't stop <laughs> Because I've seen that enjoyment mm. when it comes to training. Of Training's not there to take away from your life. It's not there to have you feeling shitty. It's mm. there to add to your life. And it doesn't matter if you are, if your training is a 30-minute walk yeah. a day. Well, I'm an advocate that everybody should be doing some form of resistance training. But yeah. it doesn't matter if that's a 20-minute session or, you know, if you're able for a 50-minute session. Like, Absolutely. you're there, you're showing up, and it's going to add to your life. 100% louder for the people at the back um, <laughs> you know I kind of the why I train at the moment is a really important one for me um, you know I'd be lying if I, I if I said I didn't care about how I look or that how my clothes feel on my body that they 
you know, that doesn't bother me. That's an out and out fib. Um, I try not to focus on that too much. Yeah, but it, but it's there. But what is really important to me and what I try to keep to the forefront of my brain is a sense of body autonomy. Um, mm. I love I love going to I enjoy the gym and, and, and have for quite a long time now. So I love doing a session in the morning. And then when someone rings me or says, I'm, I'm passing by, do you fancy a strome up the sugar loaf? Yeah, cool. I love when I don't have to consider that my big exercise, when I don't have to prepare by resting for two days beforehand or not even at the sugar loaf or whatever. But, you know, we go for a walk along the seafront. When that doesn't take so much out of me, when that can just be something that I do without thinking about. That is a massive win. That is a huge goal for me at the moment. So, again, it's it's that autonomy. It's 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 to be able to uh, lie on the floor and throw my two nephews and niece around and chase after them. It is things like we live on the third floor and we, there isn't a lift. It's to be able to carry all my shopping up without being really out of breath. Like it is quite simple. Um, and it's things that you do take for granted or certainly in the past when I've, you know, I've never had, I never had a six pack, but, you know, I didn't feel like I was uh, the fittest I could be. But I was doing all these things and the gym and going around the spink, you know, at the weekend. And, you know, I took all of this for granted. And when that's taken away, you realise, oh, that's what you need to work towards. Not, yeah. not whatever muscles absolutely and and that's something that like I would preach all the time with clients and and clients come to me and they have a weight loss goal or fat loss goal I'm not against that at all I think we all deserve to work hard and feel confident in a bikini or on our summer holidays and I'm all for that but you're so right and it's so weird because the goal when people start working with me is always number one is weight loss for the majority Mm -hmm. of people and then a month in or six weeks in they're like, oh, I wonder if I could do like 10 push-ups from the floor. Mm. And they, these performance things, I'm all about performance goals like that. And sometimes it might be 10 push-ups on the floor. Sometimes I had one girl message me while she was on holidays and said, oh my God, my boyfriend was so impressed. I carried our suitcases up three flights of stairs. And I was like, when did you ever think you'd be able to do this? She's like, it's the gym. So you're so right. Like, and and like that we can take those things for granted and when we have that experience and it's I'm not going to say take away from us but when we have to step back a little bit that's really really hard Mm. to you know come to terms with but it's still you know I'm all about reframing and it can Mm. be a reframe for you to think right well my focus is to get back there and yeah okay you know I always say to people like your your body will change as a byproduct of you enjoying your exercise and being more active um to not you know dwell on it so much yeah we can you know have it as a goal or a want Mm. but it's almost and I see this so often when it's not the main focus we actually achieve it far easier and it doesn't really make sense if we're to put it on paper but it somehow works that way which is interesting um so yeah that's that's really amazing um so free diving Mm -hmm. can we get into that because I am so intrigued by this if I'm correct you were the very first person to represent Ireland Mm -hmm. they've world world championships yeah 
Um, wow. Yeah, I was. Like the, there are athletes and competitors who are far more talented than I am. Um, but for whatever reasons and how and why, uh, I was the first person to represent Ireland. And I'm really proud of that. Um, so freediving is the sport of holding your breath underwater. Um, there's a couple of things that people think about when they hear freediving. And first of all, it's uh, Le Grand Blue or the Big Blue, that, that uh, film from the 80s, the Jack Mail. Um, probably mixed up the names. Um, yeah, so it's, it's the, the Big Blue, so underwater beautifulness. Um, and then the other thing that people think about is, or the question that they ask is, how long can you hold your breath? So freediving is measured in a couple of different ways, depending on the discipline. So one discipline is how long you can hold your breath. So that's done by lying on the surface of the water. You're not going down, just lying completely still or static. And it's the longest breath hold. So you're not expending any energy by moving. Um, so that typically is your longest breath hold. Then it's done in distance. So that's done in a pool. So if you think about that kid at the end of their lessons, swimming underneath the water, up and down or however many times, that's a, that's a form of freediving. So they're the pool disciplines. And then the third element or aspect is depth. So if you think of the surface of the water and you take a breath and you kick or pull yourself down and all back and back up all on one breath. So they are the depth disciplines whoa just even the that like holding your breath like i am dreadful at breathing like uh growing up playing tennis my coaches used to always give out to me because i would fully hold my breath play a 20 shot rally lose it probably and then be like (sighs) like i couldn't breathe after and they'd be like you didn't breathe that whole you know 60 90 seconds uh, so yeah, I, I've really struggled with my breath. I've gotten better at it since I've, you know, focused more on my training, but um, what goes through your mind? How, sorry, do you mind me asking how long you can hold your breath for? What's the... Five um, minutes, 59. That's incredible. Yeah, like again, not to, it, it, it's a really good breath hold. There's no two ways about that. But to put it in context, uh, the world record for women uh, is 9.02, nine minutes, two seconds. Now, a pretty exceptional athlete. Um, yeah, nine minutes too. Unbelievable. So, firstly, what does the training for that look like? Um, obviously, you know, a base level of fitness is, is really, really important. But for that specific discipline, which is called static, so lying still, um, you know, you have to do stretches for your lungs. You have to build up your tolerance to CO2. But the biggest aspect of that is the mental side of things. Yeah. Um, because whilst it doesn't hurt, it's not necessarily comfortable. And it's that big thing of exploring what do we do when we're in discomfort? Uh, what do we think when we experience discomfort? So very often I will train for that, you know, lying uh, in my bed or on the couch and practice breath holds, but more so practicing that um the mental experience of it so for example um i'll hold my breath and there's a period of relaxation which which you you know work to uh 
make strong <laughs> one better phrase work to to have it as relax relaxing as possible and that allows time to pass without you focusing on how long has it been um you know you're also focused on keeping your heart rate down you know making sure you're not using any energy by by tensing up your muscles so once that phase is over there will be periods of uh discomfort and usually it's really interesting to notice the physical aspect and hear or listen to what thoughts come into your head. So, for example, it might be, oh, that feels uncomfortable. That's probably because I didn't sleep well last night. Yeah, no, I didn't. I'm not in great form today either. Yeah, look, probably, actually, do you know what, today is in the day. And you start, like, those thoughts just start to spiral a little bit. And usually that's when you pull your head up in the water or, you know, take your breath and go, OK, fair enough, not today. Yeah. So I remember specifically uh, a dive or, you know, a breath hold. Uh, so I was in Egypt and I was practicing for a competition and I felt gross. Um, my stomach was upset Um I hadn't slept well. So all these thoughts came into my head and I remember catching them. And the thought that I heard was, yeah, but let's see with all these conditions. So you've listed them, you know, you didn't sleep well. Your your tummy doesn't feel great. You must have eaten something funny and you think you're getting a cold. So you're kind of congested. Yeah, you're right. These aren't the perfect conditions for the best breath hold ever. So let's see how far you can go with those. Okay, so that's a totally different mindset. So I'm no longer thinking I need to be the best I've ever been. It's, and I use the phrase a lot, this playful sort of curiosity about, okay, let's explore this. I think that breath hold was five, min- five minutes and 30 seconds. You know, so it's still a really strong breath hold. And what it does is it gives you a little bit of information the next time those thoughts come up. It gives you a little bit of, I suppose I, I can consider it as, it puts something in the resilience I was just going to say resilience. It makes you think, hey, yeah, fine. Congested, upset tummy, didn't sleep well. Now what? You know, it is definitely, it definitely empowers you. And I go back to that why again, why I do things. I think I learned more about my mental strength and resilience in freediving, in holding my breath more than anywhere else. So... 20s, 30s, my biggest fear was people perceived that I was weak and negative. And I do talk about an example in my book. Uh, 2020, Caroline Flack had died by suicide and I was scrolling through Instagram. And obviously there's a big outcry about how sad this was and um, urging for people to be kind and one um, um, personality or influencer was on, on camera saying how awful this was. And they said, now, I'm, I myself, now I wouldn't have any of that. I'm, I'm, I'm very positive and I'm very strong. And, and then continued on. And I remember scrolling, this is 2020, and thinking, okay, So if not having mental illness is because you are strong and positive, what is the opposite of that? Weak Mm -hmm. and negative. 
And I was just so shocked that, firstly, it was just a really naive thing to say. And that in this, like, you know, so 2020, it's, a, it's, it's kind of 10 years on, at least from when I had been in hospital. And this, this idea still existed. I was really, really shocked. But it confirmed for me, you know, my, my fears, you know, throughout the previous, whatever, 14 years. Not only did I think people thought that of me, but I kind of thought of that about myself. Mm-hmm. So much of what I did, whether it was trying to go for a marathon or whatever it was, or, you know, taking on really big theatre projects and really putting myself out there was to prove to others and myself that I was uh, strong and positive. And freediving helped me find that in a way that was a lot pure. You don't hold your breath for the guts of six minutes without a lot of mental strength. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And there is something about, you know, so all the practice around freediving, yes, it's physical, yes, um, you're working on, you know, uh, lung stretches and, and building tolerance for CO2 and your breath holdability, but so much of it is mental. So you do vis- visualisations, you you practice mindfulness, you, um, you try not to judge things as harshly me my approach as I mentioned is kind of playful curiosity so definitely those skill sets help on land but knowing that I could hold my breath knowing that I could withstand the the pressure of water at depth it definitely has given me a sense of I suppose it's kind of like strengthened my personal CV the only the one that I know about like well I can do those things that definitely says something about my character it's okay so when those bad thoughts come in, when I'm really, really tired or having a bad day or a bad month, I know that, you know, in my core, at my centre, there is a strength, there is a resilience, and there are a huge set of tools that I've built up over the last 15 years that will get me through this period. That's amazing. Like, so, so fascinating. Wow. Well done. Like... <laughs> As it's you can tell it's been like a clicking point for you yeah. which like it's a clicking point but I think it's one that'll come up again and again and again you know yeah. Um, yeah no not to give you know a spoiler to my book but I was really I, I fought with my um publishers bad, but I was quite insistent that I include long COVID at the end because mm-hmm. it'd be really nice to finish on a high of end of 2019 I had set national records. I had um, just been the first person to represent Ireland um, in the World Championships. It had been, I suppose, the end of one chapter, but that's exactly what it was. Mm. The chapter wasn't the end because 2020 things changed hugely. And the reason why it was so important for me to include was everyone likes a happy ending. Everyone does. It's satisfying. It has a resolution. It's terrific. But the reality is life isn't like that. And not not in a negative way, but life will again throw a series of circumstances at you that will challenge that. And I think what is way more helpful to learn or to read about is that whilst you can control what will come at you, you can that you can take from previous and, and, and have it help you get through the next. So, you know, it's really, it's really shit. It's really unfortunate 
that I, I set up to to tackle, you know, new freediving goals and seemed on the cusp of something. 2020, okay, big deal. That didn't work out because something much bigger was happening. And then when it looked like we were coming out of it, I got long COVID, which to this day affects my life. So yeah, it's shit. It doesn't make for a nice, neat, neatly packaged story, but it is my story. And it yeah. is, you know, I very firmly believe you know, it is how you, you you deal with that, and it certainly doesn't look pretty all of the time. Yes, I can see it and package it into an, a nicely presented soundbite, but the reality is, you know, last week I'm sitting on my couch and there are tears flowing down my cheeks as I think I don't know what to do next, and it that that those moments don't mean that I failed. Those moments just coexist with the times where I go okay one foot in front of the other let's let's identify the next step the next step is just those small moments of consistency and that's how I approach things bit by bit it's a really really good way and that's something I've definitely changed my mindset on I've gone from having this why me mindset mm-hmm. to okay this is, and don't get me wrong I'm not like this all the time there are times where no I is. do have a little bit of why me um but it really it's it's a challenge that if I see it as a challenge that I can overcome in my head, that little bit of competitiveness is like, oh, well, if you get through this, you'll be stronger the next mm. time something, some shit comes around. Yeah. So that's amazing. I'm, I'm, we're, we're short on time, but before we finish up, talk to us about your book. Because mm-hmm. just after chatting to you, I'm a terrible reader. Like I am so bad but I'm going on holidays in three weeks and I'm getting your book and I'm bringing it on holidays with Fantastic. me because I really want to read it now. Here's an audio book because I know my my husband isn't he, his first language is Arabic and he doesn't love reading English so he listened to the audio and um, so there is an audio read by myself. Uh, wow. Yeah, I loved awesome. recording it. Loved it. Really? Well no better woman for your voice. Yeah, I, I had a ball that was such an incredible challenge. Loved wow. every single flipping second of that. And um, yeah, my book uh, came out in March. It's called Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me to Live. And it is just that it kind of documents my journey from uh twenty fourteen, just before I headed off traveling up until March of last year. So, you know, yeah, it, it is about free diving, but it's also about mental illness. It's also about being single and feeling like you should be doing all these things and not feeling like you can tick this checklist that everyone else seems to do so easily. So it's kind of finding meaning and purpose uh, amongst a whole load of mess, quite honestly. It's something I'm, I'm really proud of it. I really enjoyed writing it. It was very cathartic. I had a lot of fun with it. I, I, you know, kind of the feedback I've gotten was, you know, you know, how did it feel to write such an honest book? It's kind of, I didn't, like, I didn't set out to write an honest book. I just set out to tell my story the way I would tell my story. And if I'm not going to be honest, what's the point? Who's it for then? Um, so yeah, it's something I'm really, really proud of and I miss writing. Uh, wow. Maybe there's, there's, there's more there. I'm not sure yet. Ooh, stay tuned for book number two. Mm-hmm. You're such an incredible woman and I've loved every minute of this chat. Likewise. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find more about you? Obviously, your book, and that's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's pretty much everywhere. Yeah, 
yeah, in all good bookstores are published by Gill. And I, I run breathwork classes. I run mindset classes, which are kind of just uh, kicking off this summer. So you can find cool. more info on clairewalshlife.com or on Instagram at clairewalshlife. Amazing. And lastly, I just have some rapid fire questions. Go. Don't be scared. I'm <laughs> um, so number one, what is your favorite breakfast? Um, shakshuka. Oh, yum. Mm-hmm. Love it. I don't know if you've ever been to um, Dunleary, but Bibi's Cafe in Dunleary, mm-hmm. uh, owned by a very good friend of mine, uh, do like they call, they have Turkish eggs, but they have squash eggs, okay. which is kind of also like shakshuka. It's amazing. I think they do a shakshuka as well. Anyways, they've loads of kind Egyptian of Egyptian husband stuff. will love this. It's amazing. Bibi's right on the water at the pier. Wow. Fab. Really, really good. Um, second, your favorite music artist? Ah, uh, um, uh, right now I'm listening to Tozier. He's an incredible musician. Oh, amazing. Love, love. Mm-hmm. And your favorite book? You can say your own. Yeah, flip it. My own. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was so lovely to chat to you. And I just know people find your story and you talking just fascinating. Uh, thank you so much. It's been really lovely. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Claire. She is some woman and what an amazing insight into her life this was. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love for you to share it with your friends, family, or anyone else you think might also enjoy it, as this really helps in growing the podcast. For more information, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Vicky Cornick, as well as my gym page at Victory underscore fitness underscore IE. This is where you can also check out our 28-day trial that we run for half price. And lastly, if you're wanting to get updates for future episodes, which includes some incredible guests, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.